Welcome to the Military Child Education Coalition podcast, the show that highlights a wide range of challenges and triumphs that our military-connected kids experience. My name is Nikki Harrison, and I'll be your host today. We'd like to say thank you for the support of the Maxwell Gunner Spouses Club for this episode. Joining me today is Dr. Becky Porter, President and CEO of MSEC. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Becky Porter, for being here with us today. It's great having you on the podcast. Nikki, I'm really happy to be here. Thank you for having me and thank you for doing this. It's just a really great way that MSEC has of getting out the word about not only what we do, but what our partners do in the space of serving military-connected children. And I'm really grateful to you for what you do in that regard. So thanks for having me here today. Thank you. So we would love for you to tell us first about a day in the life for the president and CEO of an organization like MSEC. Wow. Wow. Well, I'll tell you, I really do believe I have the best job. I retired from active duty specifically to take this job, and I have no regrets because what I get to see every day is people who are devoted to a mission of serving military kids. And I, you know, I I have two military kids that are grown up of my own. And uh, my husband and I were both on active duty in the Army. And so I am very familiar with what military connected kids go through as their parents are serving and they move from place to place all around the world. And when I get to, on a daily basis, witness the service of our staff, volunteers, And even the adults who work with military-connected students, I love all the problem-solving that I see and just kind of the forward-looking approach that the people at MSEC have and that the educators we work with have, too. That is wonderful. And I love to say that I also was a military child, so I'm appreciative of, of everything that MSEC does as well. So you were one of the first members of MSEC Science Advisory Board back in 2008. And could you tell us a little bit about the origin of that board and the impact on the work that MSEC does? Sure. You know, even before MSEC instituted or stood up their science advisory board in 2008, the original president and CEO or one of the co-founders, Dr. Mary Keller, had a group of individuals that she started collecting, if you will, a group of folks who she could call to ask, you know, you work with military-connected kids or you do research on military families, how would you say we could approach this situation? So from its inception, MSEC has been an organization that is evidence-informed. And what the Science Advisory Board did, pulling those people together in the way that MSEC did, was to formalize that reliance and using evidence as a touchstone for how MSEC develops curriculum and how we approach the problems that face military-connected students. I love that you mentioned that the advisory board was using evidence-based research and information, because I think that really shows in, in all that MSEC does. So you've been very close to MSEC for much, if not all, of its existence. It was launched in 1998 and is now celebrating its 25th year. What challenges were initially identified at MSEC's founding And how have those challenges changed and or evolved? Well, Nikki, I I haven't been here from the very, very beginning, but I did 
in 2001, in January of 2001, I uh, so about two and a half years into MSEC's life, if you will, I took a job on the Army staff working as a special assistant on Army well-being. I was a special assistant to the chief of staff of the Army. And one of the first things that I was asked to do in that job was to proofread a study that the Army had commissioned MSEC to conduct called the Secondary Education Transition Study, or SETS. And as I was going through this survey where MSEC had done a beautiful job of, it was a a qualitative analysis, um, going out and talking to military students, talking to their parents, talking to the teachers and counselors that worked with them every day, and really kind of getting getting their arms around, are all the anecdotes that we hear really representative of what's going on with military students? And it was eye-opening to me, proofreading the study, really the kind of the challenge. And my kids at that time were pre-K and kindergarten. They were very, very young. And I remember reading about all of the transitions that military kids talked about in the survey. And their parents talked about the difficulty with different graduation requirements in various states or how to transfer credits from one one school to another. Even things like missing out on school tryouts and different extracurricular activities because the, the family PCS there after those tryouts had already happened. And the biggest thing were some of the narratives that were included in the study talking about the difficulty that some of the kids had making friends in a new location or doing it over and over and over again. And so at that time, I remember I said to my husband, and I was a major at the time, I said, we need to get out of the army as quickly as possible because this is going to be really hard for our kids when they get older. Fortunately, when I got to the end of the study, I saw that there were some recommendations and and I knew that military leadership was interested in making a difference. And so um, we stayed on active duty, and I'm happy to report that my kids are both adults and well-adjusted and successful. Um, and interestingly enough, a lot of, uh, you know, it's an iterative process. I mean, a lot of the kids that are parents now were the ones that we we surveyed back in 2000 and 1999. And so now they're parents, and they're in the military, and their kids are going through similar things. So some of the some of the things are still occurring, but the main difference, I think, is the vast array of resources that are available um, to try to address these. And one is with school liaisons. Uh, the Department of Defense and the services now have funded positions at installations called school liaisons. And the school liaisons are trained to know what these issues are for military students coming in. They have relationships with the schools that they serve around their installation. And they've been there and done that and seen that, you know. And so they are a great resource for families and probably one of the first ones that they would access when they go to a new location. The other thing that's happened at a legislative level, actually, is the Military Interstate Compact for Children. And that is a compact that all 50 states have signed on to, and they agree to cooperate on graduation requirements and transition requirements or or transcripts in service of military-connected students. And it's predominantly addressing interstate, like it says, military interstate compact. So it's interstate and may not apply to kids who are going within one state from one school to another, but they're working on making it inclusive of even National Guard kids to the extent possible. 
So whether it's something where the the services are funding a school liaison person to help with those transitions, or even at a legislative level where the states are agreeing to to acknowledge and try to work through these issues. MSEC even has something called a military student consultant, which is kind of a concierge personalized resource for families or teachers or even school liaisons to get in touch with, you know, if there's a particular issue that needs a little bit more uh, research done on it to see how it, you know, can be addressed. Our military student consultants really provide uh, a personalized service for folks where they will do the research, they will walk the person through, walk them through, okay, let's do this, let's do that. Because interestingly enough, this field has gotten so saturated with resources that sometimes it's overwhelming for a family to to figure out where to go and what to do about a particular situation. Well, I think it's great that you highlighted the enormous amount of resources that are available to our military-connected families through MSEC as well as other organizations. And now as a military parent myself, I am like amazed at the amount of resources that are available to our families. So the founding of MSEC was just three years before September 11th, which created a new normal really for everyone after that happened. What were the impacts for our military-connected children and how did MSEC respond? Well, as I said earlier, I was working on the Army staff in the Pentagon on September 11th. And then following that, traveled with the chief of staff of the Army and his wife to visit families where service members were about to deploy. And in retrospect, with 9-11 and with the wars that followed, the American public and more pointedly, the military-connected children could see on television every day the danger that service members were in. I think for a lot of families, there was it, it was new for them to experience a separation from deployment. In the Navy, deployments are pretty routine. And I think that some of the deployments to a combat zone really helped some of the services and families in America see what that's like. I think it gave the other services a peek into that cyclical, you know, leaving, reintegrating, and then leaving and reintegrating. So there's that aspect of it that I think more of us then came to understand the difficulty that comes with that, the challenges that come with that. For military-connected students, they also have to hear whatever is the rhetoric in the news at the time, the rhetoric about the conflict, the rhetoric about what happened, what should happen, what didn't happen. And I think for some students, that can be especially troubling. But I think by and large, the war in Afghanistan really kind of brought up an entire generation of kids and an, a generation of service members, for that matter, who did not know anything other than being at war. That new normal had uncertainty, had danger, had criticism from the outside, criticism from the inside. And so really a very complex set of conditions. It definitely did. And that new normal was something that I think so many of us had to get used to. So when we're talking about the word normal in and it of itself, how important is it for MSEC to create initiatives or programs that help military-connected children 
feel more normalized and connected to the same, if not better, opportunities that civilian kids enjoy. We have always tried to look at what are the positive things about being a military-connected child. I mean, there are challenges to be sure, but there are also advantages that being a military child affords. Knowing how to talk to people when you go into a new situation, being familiar with many cultures, not just overseas, but even from one part of our country to another, understanding and being flexible and being tolerant of differences, um, whether it's a difference in the way someone talks, um, the vocabulary they use, or just how they go about their daily living, military kids have been exposed and they adapt to that. So I think going back to the question about how do MSEC initiatives help with supporting the new normal, I think we have a history of leveraging our strengths. So it comes through in our programming, in our content, looking for ways to use military kids' strengths to help offset and protect them from, from the negative parts of being in a military family. I think it's great to highlight that our vision is that we would love for every military-connected child to be college work and life ready. And so I think it's all about helping the children thrive, not just survive this period of, of time that they're in while they're growing up. So the war in Afghanistan lasted almost 20 years, and there's an entire generation of military children who've had to cope with this its effects. And you talked about that a little bit earlier. What do you think that these young people have faced? Well, I think, like I said, they have faced kind of an undercurrent of danger throughout their childhood, knowing that was televised and because it was so prominently featured that their parent was deployed in harm's way. And even if their parent was not going out on a patrol or something, they had the sense that they were in danger or could be in danger. And so, I mean, that's a lot, uh, even if you're not talking about it, or maybe especially if you're not talking about it, that's a lot going on for a child knowing that a parent is in danger. Uh, you could also say that it has the effect of making those kids more independent, making them more self-reliant. So just like so many things, it's a two-edged sword. But now we've got a military who maybe were children during that time. And so they've grown up with that, you know, especially military kids would grow up and know what it's like to have a parent deployed. And then now they join the military and and they've got that perspective as they go about their service. Absolutely. And I know that we talk a lot about resiliency. I think, you know, 20 years of, of a war creates quite a bit of resiliency in our military-connected children. So at the tail end of Afghanistan, the global pandemic had such a profound impact, especially for our school-age kids and their parents. What was this like for military-connected children, and was MSEC able to help mitigate any of these effects? Well, you know, for all of us, the withdrawal from Afghanistan was a huge change and difficult to watch on television. But then to have COVID-19 right around that time, it was difficult for civilians. It was difficult for military. But the social isolation that was prompted by COVID-19 really, I think, for military-connected kids had an additional impact. 
And that was especially for those ones who PCS'd or had a permanent change of station if their service member parent moved during that time. And so I'm thinking um, specifically of someone I knew who had two high school students and had PCS during COVID-19. And I asked her how the boys liked their new high school. And she said, I got home from work the other day. My youngest was working on a project. And I said, hey, I thought that was supposed to be a group project. And he said, it is. But when the teacher divided us up into groups on Zoom, they all knew each other. And we got off the meeting and they all knew how to get in touch with each other because they knew each other from last year. And I don't know how to get in touch with them. So I'll just do it on my own. And it just broke my heart. And so for military kids, there was, in my opinion, for a lot of them, an enhanced sense of isolation. Gosh, when you were telling that story, it brought up a lot of feelings for myself because we did PCS during the pandemic with high schoolers, and it was a very challenging time. So I think that enhanced social isolation was definitely a struggle for so many of our families. Well, Nikki, I forgot to say, with regard to how MSEC responded to that, it was, for me, it was one of my proudest moments when I would say within 10 days of us closing our office on March 20th or March 13th, 2020, MSEC stood up online programming for educators, for parents. We were reaching out to the students, to our S2S clubs. I mean, even though there was, you know, this heightened isolation. I was so proud that MSEC just, I mean, really, you heard the word pivot a lot. We really did. We had been looking in the direction of doing more online programming. And so we were poised for it. And within a week, a week and a half, we had stuff up and running so that families and military children were supported during that time. I think that's fantastic to have all of those resources that happened virtually for our families. And I know I even have some friends that were like, gosh, I was watching parent support workshops and different things online, and it just really helped me. So I know I heard a lot of positive aspects to what MSEC was doing right when the pandemic happened. So with that social isolation of the pandemic, kind of combined with this prevalence of online interaction as a substitute for that face-to-face communication. There was so much of that that happening. This really impacted our military children and parents. Our kids learning to relate to each other again now that kind of everything shifted back in person. Yeah, when I think back about kind of the evolution of how we did meetings and what it was like, uh, for me in that time, that was the I was still in my first year as the CEO at MSEC. And because we were doing meetings online, I was able to um, personally meet and get exposed to different audiences and different groups all around the country, sometimes all in one day. And I think a lot of us, you know, a lot of adults anyway, and probably kids to an extent as well, got accustomed to this, you know, you go from meeting to meeting to meeting to meeting without the time that where you collect your books or you collect your notes and you walk down the hall to the other meeting or you take a car across town to the next meeting. And so while in some ways it seemed more efficient, I think in other ways it was more demanding because 
uh, we didn't have that built-in time to kind of collect ourselves. And I think that happened for students as well, where there was this expectation that you're on in front of the camera all day long. And it's exhausting. We all know it now. It's exhausting. And so for MSEC, it showed us that, you know, we all heard about uh, screen fatigue. And we at MSEC saw that. We saw that although we had developed some online programming, when everything is happening online, it can be too much. And people miss the face-to-face interaction. And, you know, we saw at our Global Training Summit last year, just a huge turnout of people who had been longing for face-to-face interaction. And all of the little sidebar conversations you have and the, you know, grabbing somebody in the hallway and say, hey, I've been meaning to talk to you. I mean, those are great opportunities for students and adults. I think the other thing, especially for students, and think about the really, really young students. So the MSEC is like K-12, you know, so even pre-K. What I heard from teachers, especially first grade teachers who got students coming back to school who had not had the advantage of face-to-face kindergarten or pre-K is that the kids had not been socialized to different behaviors. You know, even something like how to stand in line or how do you raise your hand to get recognized in class and then take your turn. And those are the kinds of things that kindergarten and pre-K teachers are underappreciated for how much work they do in getting our students ready to be academically and socially successful going forward. And so I think those kinds of things really helped us as a society recognize the importance of those early childhood events, and then also understand why so many kids really did want to get face-to-face again. And so we are working to balance that for some people and for some students. The online experience is most convenient and in some cases, the only way that they'll get to um, take advantage of something. But for others, the face-to-face communication and experience really is what makes things um, most meaningful to them. And so we try to make both opportunities available for students and educators and parents. Absolutely. And I think that reintegration, I know we talk about reintegration a lot when it comes to deployments and separations, but I felt like there was a whole reintegration for kids that were going back in person to school, especially for our elementary school kids that now have transitioned to middle school. And that's their kind of first time being back in person after a couple of years. So I think that definitely had an impact. And with this kind of uh, social isolation that happened in the pandemic, do you think that there were significant learning gaps? Well, like like I said, you know, just for like pre-K and kindergarten, those those kind of social skills and how to behave in a classroom, not having those when they started first grade or second grade, that could have an impact, I think. We also know that verbal skills and math skills took a hit during COVID-19. And what I would say is that educators and the staff at MSEC and lots of people right now are trying to figure out how do we make up for that gap. I think there is something that we need to be looking at and concerned about. A bit of research that I'm aware of is coming out of Penn State University, and that is looking at Purple Star schools. And I can go into that if you'd like, what Purple Star schools are, but looking at what kind of learning gaps 
there were or were not, were there any differences between Purple Star schools and non-Purple Star schools coming out of that time where uh, schools were impacted? And so I think what that will tell us, if there were some differences, that will give us an indication about what were the things that could be protective or that were protective during that time, not only for the kids' mental health, but also for their academic achievement. That seems like some really interesting research. And since you mentioned Purple Star Schools, would you like to tell our listeners what those are? I think that'd be great for them to hear. Yeah, Nikki, I, I sometimes forget that not everyone knows about Purple Star Schools. It started a few years ago in Ohio when a man named Pete Lupiba wanted to be able to communicate that his schools were culturally competent in military lifestyle. And so he and some other people came up with criteria for what would you have to do as a school to be culturally competent? And that's my words. That's not Pete's words. But it included things like having somebody designated on the campus who was the liaison uh, for military families coming in. That could be the same person who has a really good relationship with the school liaison if there's a, if there's an installation with a school liaison nearby. Um, it also included things like a peer-led program to welcome new students, like the MSEC student-to-student program. It included professional development and continuing education for the educators and school counselors at the school on what it's like to be in a military family. What are some of the demands on a military family? What are some of the strengths that a military family has? Another requirement is something like having space designated a website that has resources for military families coming into a school. And then also, you know, does the school recognize military recognition days? You know, for example, April is month of the military child. Do they do something for month of the military child? So those were some of the things that that Pete Lupiba came up with. And that was just in Ohio. And since then, now it's it has spread. MSEC is the national advocate for it. We just intuitively looked at it and said, these look like good things. Not only did we become the national advocate, but we commissioned a study with uh, Columbia University to look at best practices for Purple Star schools. And those have been published and they're on our website. And so now over 30 states have um, adopted some kind of policy or legislation to have Purple Star schools. They don't all call it the same thing, but most of them call it Purple Star schools. And then they provide um, instructions or guidelines for school systems to use to apply for Purple Star school status um, so that military parents, when they're going to a new location, can have at least one more indicator of, is this a school that I think my kids will thrive in? Well, thank you so much for telling us all about Purple Star schools. I think it's an important initiative and so important for our military-connected families to know about and to look for. So we were talking a little bit earlier about that social isolation of the pandemic and kind of everything that happened from that. Has all of this contributed to the mental health crisis in our nation? And what do you think our military-connected kids and families need to weather the storm? And how can MSEC help? Thanks for asking that question, Nikki. I don't know if you mentioned it earlier in the introduction, but I I am a clinical psychologist, and I I spent most of my career in the army as a clinical psychologist, and so I've looked at the you know the the isolation that folks are experiencing, and looked at the mental health of military kids 
generally speaking, for a long time. And when I came, when I first came to MSEC, I was really deliberate about not putting that mental health lens on what I did at MSEC. That said, it really has come to the point where I've started to realize that whether it's mental health per se or just a good uh, well-being foundation, that all contributes just like food insecurity or housing all contributes to providing the foundation for a military child to be able to learn and to be able to thrive in an academic setting. And so in answer to your question, I think what I would say is that the mental health crisis that is facing our youth right now is quite you know, reasonably also affecting our military-connected children. That said, I think that there are some things that, that we can do, things that we can be aware of to support them. We, they have many protective factors as well, you know, like health care. And generally speaking, they have a support system. The military is great at providing support for one another. Military families are fantastic in that regard. Another thing that MSEC does that I think we've been doing for a while, but really you can see that the applicability of it right now is our S2S programs or student to student. And those are peer-led programs where not only military students, but their civilian counterparts work together to welcome new kids into a school. They get leadership education opportunities. They do service projects. And connection really is so important to military or to mental health, rather. Think about it. So for military kids, they are very practiced at reestablishing connections, right? Wherever they go, they have to make new friends. They have to make new friends. They have to make new friends. So what can be seen as a challenge can also be seen as kind of exercising that connectivity muscle. You know, they're getting they get better and better at reaching out and making friends. And something like S2S provides a support network for them, for the kids that maybe aren't as good at it as they'd like to be. And also the professional development that we do for educators gives them some understanding of what military kids are going through and to support them in their classrooms as well. Well, I think how lucky MSEC was that unbeknownst to you that you would use your background, your knowledge, and your experience um, from that clinical psychology setting to kind of help focus on that mental health crisis that unfortunately came from the pandemic. So I hear the passion when you speak about MSEC and all of the programs and the initiatives and the people that work really to support our military-connected children and family. But what makes you most proud about MSEC's work? And do you have a favorite kind of story or antidote that you'd like to share? Oh, thanks, Nikki. I mean, my my mind is flooded right now with uh, possible answers. I mean, what I love about the way that MSEC works is that we are able to make change and influence things at a global level, at a national level, whether it's testifying about um, Purple Star Schools or testifying in front of Congress about exceptional needs and the EFMP program. It's global. It's with schools where we meet with educators, where we we talk to the school counselors. And it's also individual families. So many people I meet have a story, have a personal story about MSEC. 
and how it helped them or helped one of their children. And one of the stories that I especially like, and, it, and you could say it doesn't have anything to do with academics, and um, I think that's maybe why I like it, is we were approached by a family who had moved and their son had been on the swim team and was really, really good. And, well, he was so good that he was training several hours a day at the natatorium or in the pool for his competitive swimming. And when they got to this new school, the new school had a requirement of one hour a week of PE. And the class was going to conflict with the time, the four hours a day he spent swimming at the pool. And this the school was pretty rigid about, no, we've got a, we, he has a PE requirement. He needs to take PE. And the parents were just kind of beside themselves. He trains four hours a day in the pool, swimming, physical activity. Why can't this be, count as his PE course? And they called MSEC about it. The CEO at the time, Dr. Mary Keller, had been uh, an educator, had been an assistant superintendent, and she talked to the school, and they were able to reach an agreement where the the boy got his PE credit for the training that he did for the swim team. And what I love about this story is that now he's in college, and he's an NCAA swimmer, and you know, had it not been for his parents being an advocate for him and for them leveraging the expertise at MSEC, he might have had that swimming career interrupted because of just a simple administrative thing that we were able to help address. And so I love that story. It's not about, you know, he didn't go on to, you know, be a, a cure cancer or something like that, but he's doing something that he loves and that he's good at. And uh, and I think we're going to hear more about him, but you'll have to guess who it is when you watch the Olympics. I am because I was sitting here and I had you had me thinking like, who? who <laughs> <laughs> this is a good story. Yeah. What a great testament to all that MSEC does in support of our military connected families. So what gives you the most hope about the future for our military connected children? You know, Nikki, the passion that I see in the people who are supporting MSEC's mission, the people who are on our staff, the people who volunteer with us, the uniformed leaders who support our mission and what we do and care about our military kids, and the, the dedicated educators who are willing to take the time to understand what it means for those parents to serve and what it means to be in that family. And so, I mean, that community of care that supports our military-connected students just gives me so much hope um, because they're all passionate about wanting the best for those kids. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for speaking with us and talking about all things MSEC. Uh, I think it's just been amazing, and I cannot wait to see what uh, MSEC does in the future. Thanks, Nikki. I really appreciated the opportunity to talk with you today. I'd like to thank Becky for her time today. And in just a couple of days, we are celebrating our 25th anniversary. So I'd like to say happy anniversary, MSEC. Thanks for listening to the MSEC podcast, the official podcast of the Military Child Education Coalition. If you've enjoyed this episode, please like, share, subscribe, and give today's show a five-star rating. Don't forget to leave us a comment on topics you'd like to hear more about. 
We'd like to give a special thanks again to the Maxwell Gunner Spouses Club for supporting this episode and Consentus Media for audio mixing. I'm Nikki Harrison. Until next time, in a world where you can be anything, be kind. Be kind.